Would you turn to Hebrews this evening, book of Hebrews in the New Testament, the 12th chapter. Like our sister said, we talked about correction and chastisement, reproof and rebuke. And uh, when she said it, everybody laughed. I thought, that's good. That's good. And people came back. Glory to God. We're doing good. <laughs> I really was pleased with uh, this morning's uh, congregation's response. It shows uh, some understanding. Because correction in God is a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's a blessing. Many people haven't thought that way. So we're going to go on into that uh, this evening. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Are you there? If you didn't bring a Bible, why don't you look on with your neighbor and let your eyes rest on these words. Let them get in your spirit. He said, verse uh, 5, Hebrews 12, 5 says, you have forgotten, or like some translations put it in the question, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as unto children? Do you know that we're referred to as the children of God? How many know that to be a fact? Numerous times. Do you know why we're referred to as the children of God? Because that's what we are. Right? In the book of John, 1 John, you see frequently the phrase, little children. My little children. You know why he refers to us that way? Because that's what we are. Right? To God... We are little children. Did you hear me? We are so young compared to him. I don't care if you're 105. Compared to God, you're a babe. Right? And we need to keep that in mind because children need to be taught. Right? And they need to be corrected. Sometimes just in their ignorance. They don't think right. Right? And you need to help them out so that they think right. And, uh, you know, children sometimes don't, they don't realize what's best for them. I mean, like they'll play in the street. They think it's cool. (laughs) And they they do not appreciate what a uh, 5,000 pound automobile at 70 miles an hour can do to a child. You understand what I'm saying? They don't have that concept. They don't have that understanding. Well, that's the way so many things are with us. You know, we have such a limited scope and vision. Our few years of experience are just nothing compared to God's knowledge and understanding. And so when he says, get out of the street, we ought not sit there and go, why? (laughs) Right? And there, there is a, uh, there's a, a real, problem in modern uh, society in that so many people have written books and they said things like, well, you know, when, when parents are teaching children, never tell a child, don't do this. And they say, why? And you say, because I said so. You got psychologists and psychiatrists that say, don't say that. Well, you, you, you explain it to them. Really? How many know there's some things you just can't explain? To a three-year-old. 
You could, you could talk to them for three hours, and when you got through, they wouldn't know any more about what you said than when you started. They just, it's going to take some years of development for them to have a perspective to understand that. And God has more kids than anybody. Does he ever tell us, do something, because I said so, and that's it? All the time, right? He'll say, do this. Go through that door and you'll go, why? What's in there? What's on the other side? And there'll just be silence. You know all you need to know to walk by faith. Does he expect you to obey him not knowing why? Come on with that now. Does he expect you to do what he tells you to do without fully understanding all the ramifications? Sir, if you have to see it and understand it before you're going to do it, you are refusing to walk by faith. So, no, that's not okay, you know, to follow these books. And, and, and I've seen it. It's just pitiful. I've seen mothers standing in the grocery store aisle uh, on their hands and knees trying to explain something to a child that is just far out beyond. And they think they're a good mom. They're ignorant. Put that back on the shelf. Why? Because I said so. End of story. Right? Because I said so. I think we could go further into this. What do you think? There is way, 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 way too much parents arguing with children. You know why? Because people have been educated by the TV instead of the Bible. They watch all these shows in which these teenagers pitch a fit and talk smart and talk back to mom and daddy. And that's supposed to be normal. And it's part of the reason why we got so many problems we've got in society. You're not supposed to argue with your children. Now, I didn't say not talk. That's a different thing. Talk. Talk. Try to help them. But when they start getting smart with you, they take that tone with you. You say, up, up, that's it. Why? Because I'm your mother. You don't talk to me that way. I'm your father. You don't talk to me that way. Right? And that's it. I mean, you cut it off like a faucet. If you don't, you're giving place to the devil in your house. Hmm? And you're teaching them that they can talk to God that way. No, you don't do that. People are, are focusing too much trying to be friends with their children and not being a parent. You have a place. How many understand the place of mother should be respected by the children? The place of father should be respected. By the even whether you agree or not, you should respect the place. And I understand that your pastors are the mom and daddy of the church. You're supposed to respect that place. You you may not agree with everything that a person in authority says and does, but you must respect the place that they have, or elsewise you disrespect the Lord. Are you with me now? 
Now, don't just take my word for it now. There are numerous parents in here right now. You need to take what you just heard before the Lord. Ask him, is it right? What do you mean about you not arguing with your child? You're not supposed to stand in your kitchen and yell back and forth with your teenage daughter or son. That is totally wrong. Did you hear me? When the disrespect is there, you cut it off. You say, no, whoa, whoa. This, this conversation's over. You don't talk to your mother that way. You don't talk to your father that way. Right? You don't talk to your pastor that way. You understand what I'm saying? This has to do with respect for God. He said, uh, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Don't despise it. Now, why would he say don't despise it? Because you'd be tempted to despise it. When the Bible tells you, you know, cautions you, watch, behold, don't do this, beware, take heed. Don't just read it and go, by. why would he say that? Because if you don't watch it, you're going to do it. Why did he say don't despise it? Because you'd be tempted to. And he describes why you would be tempted to. And he said, don't faint when you're rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And he scourges every son whom he receives. Let me read this to you from the living. Uh, he said, uh, don't be discouraged when he has to show you where you're wrong. That's the living. For when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. When he whips you, it proves you're really his child. This is the living. Why? Because you don't go around whipping somebody else's children. Right? I ain't going to come to your house and whip your children. And that's what he's talking about. Why? When he takes that much liberty in your life, it shows you're his. And you're submitted to him. Somebody says, did, did you say whip? Yeah. But surely you don't mean you don't mean spank. Physically spank. That's what I said. That's what we read. Now I won't take the time to do it right now, but if you've read your Bible, you know numerous places in Proverbs it talks about foolishness being bound in the heart of a child, but the rod. Raw, what's a rod? Stick of correction will drive it far from this. I no, I don't believe in that. No, no, no. Oh, you're smarter than God, I see. Oh, you know things he don't know. You've, you've learned a better way to do it. I'm going to give you something really valuable here. Are you, are you ready for it? This, this, this is precious now. This is important. In dealing with people, when you've got a problem to do with, they have failed, let's say it's a child. They've failed to do what you told them to do. Let's say it's an employee. Same thing. You must ascertain which one of two things is going on. Is it ignorance or is it rebellion? Because depending on which one it is, there's two completely different responses. You deal with those two completely differently. 
so, so many leaders cause so much of their own problems. They're poor communicators. They expect people to read their minds. When some, somebody that works for me or somebody that's under me in some capacity, when they don't do what I wanted them to do, the first thing I ask myself is, did I tell them correctly? Did I communicate to them? Did they understand what I wanted? You don't just jump to conclusion. You don't just get mad because you don't like what happened and run in there and start chewing on somebody. That's being carnal. You don't just act how you feel. What do you do? You start asking questions. Did you understand what I said? And if they didn't, then what is it? It's ignorance. Ignorance needs instruction. Are you with me? Not discipline. Let's say it's a child. You told them to do something and they didn't do it. And you get to talking to them and you realize they didn't understand what you wanted. Is it time for a spanking? No, it is not. What do they need? This is ignorance. Ignorance needs instruction. Everybody say that out loud. Ignorance needs instruction. Okay, what if you're talking to them and you realize they knew perfectly well what you wanted? (laughs) And they just decide they're going to do something else. What is this? This is not ignorance. This is rebellion. And see, in our society... People are taught and trained that rebellion needs instruction. And that is incorrect. That is wrong. That will perpetuate rebellion. Well, we must instruct them. Well, in a matter of ignorance, what do you mean instruct them? They knew what to do. They just decided they're going to do something else. So why do we need to sit down and talk for two hours for Did you hear me now? Ignorance needs instruction. Rebellion needs discipline. Not instruction. Discipline. Repercussions. Did you hear me? It's going to cost you something now. Are you with me? So what people don't understand, leaders and parents don't understand, when when you're dealing with rebellion, the longer you talk, the less they pay attention. And they're despising what you're saying. No. Do you understand what I said? Yeah, but I just thought, well, it just cost you something. You just lost some privileges. Well, let's talk about it. Huh? Nothing to talk about. It's over. Don't let them whine and cry and act pitiful and you feel sorry for them and you give in. That's being a poor parent. That's being a poor leader. Being a poor pastor, a poor boss. Did you hear me? Hold your place here and go to Romans. The 11th chapter. If all you got were those two phrases we just gave you. Tonight, and you remembered them and put them into practice, it'll change your life. I didn't come up with that. The Lord gave me that years ago. And I'm telling you, it in dealing with people, in dealing with situations, every time, I don't mean once in a while, every day, that's what I go by. First thing I want to know, was it ignorance or was it rebellion? If it's ignorance, 
I got to take responsibility. If I didn't communicate it, I don't care how much I don't like what happened. If I wasn't clear, if I wasn't plain, it's my fault. Right? If I didn't implement down the chain of command what should have happened, that's my fault. But if it's rebellion, it's serious. See, people in our society, they don't take rebellion seriously. Rebellion is the very nature of the devil. Come on. Oh, it's serious. And I'm telling you, God hates it. Oh, he hates it. He doesn't feel mildly about it very, very strongly. And we need to teach. Our small children need to be taught. Our teenagers, our our, uh, employees, our everybody that's under us in the church need to be taught. This is serious. You know, today people call it attitude. Well, they have a little attitude. They're just strong-willed. No, they're rebellious. And it's devilish. And it's not okay because when you just, that's the way I am, you just have to accept. No, no, I don't. No. No. We do not have to accept rebellion. No. And if you do, you're giving place to the enemy. In your house, in your church, in your business, rebellion is the nature of the devil. Be tough on it in yourself first. Recognize it in yourself and be tough on it. I mean, have zero tolerance for rebellion in yourself and be strong with it where your kids are concerned. Because if you don't teach them how to not yield to that, it'll mess up their life. Oh, it can ruin their future marriage or their future job or their position or their future ministry. It can ruin it. Why is the devil not an angel in the presence of God today? Why? Man, he was in a good place. Who God had, God had him in a wonderful place. He was blessed. He was in the presence of the Almighty. Where is he tonight? In hell. Stripped. What's his future? Why? Rebellion. Rebellion. See, that's what the Bible says. The little children are to be taught to obey their parents. Right? In the Lord. And to honor their parents. Why? That's good. It's acceptable to the Lord. And he goes on to talk about how that if you do it, it's the first commandment with promise. It'll be well with you. Talking about in life. And you'll live long on the earth. Does it really have that much impact on your whole life? Yes. Because if you don't learn how to submit to mom and daddy, if you don't learn how to show respect at home, then you're not going to do it at school. You're not going to do it on the job. You're not going to do it in your marriage. You're not going to do it in your church as an adult. And your life is not going to go well. And you're going to be cut off years out of your life. No. God's people, his true people. No honor. They know respect. In Romans 11, I want you to notice about the Lord. It says in in Romans 11, verse 21, verse 21, If God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not you. Behold therefore the what? The goodness and... Severity of God. 
on them which fails of severity, but on you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. Is God good? Yes. yes. Can he be severe? Yes. yes. Is that the perfect example? That's a little weak, guys. Yes. To be a good mother, what should you be? You should be like God. To be a good father, what should you be? Good and and severe. Now we're not talking about backhanding a child. We're not talking about hitting a child with a belt buckle. You understand what I'm talking about? That's all wrong. That is abuse. But as a, a godly employer... As a godly supervisor, as a godly pastor, as a godly uh, husband, head of the house, parent, your children should know. Everybody under you should know. Let's say somebody come in to work for you. You're, you're the boss. Somebody says, well, how? what kind of man is, is so-and-so? The boss. The people there should be able to tell them, well, I'll tell you about Mr. So-and-so. If you pull your weight, if you work hard, if you tell the truth... Man, he'd give you the shirt off his back. I tell you what, he'll go the extra mile with you. He's a good man. But <laughs> you lie to him, you rebel against him, he'll fire you. He'll cut you off. And if he tells you that it's going to happen, you better count on it. It's going to happen. And if you just ignore him and rebel against him, ain't no amount of crying and begging going to change him. That's the kind of reputation you should have. Did you hear me? As a mother, as a daddy, as a leader. What? Both good and you can be severe. See, some people have the idea that if you're a good Christian and you walk in love, then you always give in. Well, is that how God does? Does he always give in to us? (laughs) See what I'm talking about? No, no, you love people. And if people are genuine and they're trying to do right, you'll work with them from now on. Uh But if they're going to harden their heart and stiffen their neck and rebel, they're going to get cut off. They're going to get cut off. Now, um, go with me back to 1 Samuel while we're on this. Everybody said out loud, goodness Goodness. and severity. severity. Said out loud one more time, goodness. And severity. In the first few chapters of 1 Samuel, we have the story of uh, when Samuel was born, how he supernaturally was conceived, and, and then what was going on when he came on the scene. Most of the folks were backslid in the nation when Samuel came on the scene. And the people who were in the ministry, the most high up places, uh, it was the high priest, Eli, Come on. and it was his sons, also in the priesthood and ministry. And his sons were wicked men. If you've read the story. Apparently, Eli knew something about God. But you know, just because your daddy and mama knew something about God doesn't mean you automatically do. You don't just get it by osmosis. Just by hanging around people. 
You have to develop your personal relationship with God. And sometimes you see people where that they, they were around people who really knew God, but they took it all for granted. And thought that they could just live like the devil and still be blessed. Well, you can't. And these men were abusing their position in the ministry. Let me, uh, let me read some of it to you. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 12. 1 Samuel 2, 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, sons of the devil. He's talking about preachers now. Said they knew not the Lord. They didn't know God. I wonder if today there's any preachers around that don't know God. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came. And while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, he stuck it in the pan, kettle and cauldron and pot, all that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So did they in Shiloh and all the Israelites that came there. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest. For he will not have sodden or boiled flesh of you, but raw. If the man said to him, let him not fail to burn the fat presently. Now that's because the Lord had told him what to do with the sacrifices. You take all the fat and that's the Lord's and you burn it. And these guys are saying, nah, I want my cut of meat before that. Just completely ignoring the word of the Lord. Completely ignoring what God told them to do. And they'd go and stick and and get the meat out. Which was, you know, they were supposed to get a part of it. But not that part. And not then. See, they had no respect for the offerings of the Lord. Which means they had no respect for God. So you see people's respect for God in in their respect for the things of God. How many know when it's time for church and the singing's going on, you don't just go, ah, they're just singing in there. I'm going to sit down here and eat my lunch on the back seat. <laughs> nah, it's the singing and the worship of the Lord. It's time to show some respect. When the offering's coming, they, ah, they're just passing the plate. No, it's the Lord's offering. Right? It should be shown some respect and some honor. And they were despising the Lord and they were taking advantage of this. Verse 17, wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. The congregation got to where they despised bringing an offering because they knew how these preachers would treat it. You know, there's a phrase in the prophets that said, as the priest, so the people. Hmm? Everything produces after its own kind. You see here, he went on down in verse uh, 22. Eli was very old. And he heard all that his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. They're having sex with the women that came. And they're stealing offerings. How many understand this is serious? Is this because of ignorance on their part? Bless their hearts. They just didn't know no better. Uh-uh. No, this, this is not. So, so do, they, do they need instruction? 
This is really important tonight. Are y'all with me? What does ignorance need? Instruction. What does rebellion need? Not instruction. Rebellion doesn't need instruction. Rebellion needs discipline. It's not time to talk. It's time to do. Did they need instruction? These boys, did they need instruction? No, they knew better than this. What did they need? Discipline. They needed correction. They needed reproof and rebuke. Right? They were having relations with the women that came. They're stealing offerings. And Eli said to them, verse 23, Why do I hear such things? I hear of your evil dealings by all these people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear. Bad. You make the Lord's people to transgress. Hmm. Little, little nothing. Slap on the hand. Right? What should he have done? How many understand this didn't start last week? How did this thing get to this place? How did it get so far out of hand? This started with boys back talking him when they were 10 years old. He obviously was weak with these boys. What should he have done? The first thing he heard about some, one of these boys abusing the offering of the Lord. The first time he should have called them in. He should have said, what is this I hear? Did you do that? Did you, ta- did you take some of the offering of the Lord that didn't belong to you? If I hear of this one more time, you are out. You're out. I know you're my boy, but you are out of the priesthood. If I hear of it one more time. And if they had done it again, what should he have done? Put them out. Put them out. Yeah, but that's their occupation and that's their identity. I don't care. He had a responsibility before the Lord. He said, that's hard. Oh, that's No, let me tell you what's hard. Both of your boys dying in young manhood in the prime of their life, which is what happened. That's what's hard. And that's what people don't see. They think, well, it's just too hard. I, I, I had a lady sit across my desk one time and just cry her eyes. I said, I, she, she had a five-year-old. And she said, I just can't do a thing in the world with this. She just, I, 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 you know, I can't spank her. I just love her too much. No, you don't love her enough. You don't love her enough. What do you mean, Brother Keith? Well, you can't stand how it makes you feel. Yeah. For the child to not like you for a few minutes. Did you hear me? So it ain't got nothing to do with loving the child. It's you not wanting to go through anything. When you love somebody, you'll put up with them not liking you. If it helps them, if it saves them, if you really care about them. It's just too hard. No, let me tell you what's hard is you getting called out of bed at 2 in the morning when they're 14 years old. Having to go down to the police station. That's what's hard. Or finding them in a ditch somewhere. That's what's hard. But people haven't seen the connection. 
God is good and it can be severe when you don't listen to him. What about you? What about me? We're supposed to act like him. Not mean, not abusive, but we just say, well, when we say we're going to do something, count on it. Don't say it unless you mean it. If you tell them, you do that one more time and I'm going to spank you. If you don't spank them when they do it one more time, you're a liar. Did you hear me? So don't say it unless you mean to do it. But when you say it, you do it. An actual spanking, Brother Keith? Well, the Bible talked about, and like we've already said, we're not talking about backhanding somebody. We're not talking about hitting a child with a shoe. We're not. We're not talking about hitting somebody with a belt buckle. But God has designed children in such a way that there's extra padding on certain parts of their anatomy. You can take a little smooth board or something, and you can apply pressure on that particular part. And it'll sting, and it'll be red, and it'll affect their little souls. So men say, well, I, I, I'm afraid I'll break their spirit. Some spirits need to be broke. <laughs> Some spirits need to be rebuked and removed. That's right. They need to learn. You don't listen to mom, you don't listen to dad, it's going to cost you something. Now, a lot of times with older children, that's not the most effective thing anyway. It's losing driving privileges. It's not being able to go with your friends. Any, any number of things. Right? And what's the answer to all these questions? Being led by the Holy Spirit every day. He will show you what's appropriate, what's too much, what's too weak. He'll show you. And the big thing is that you never do anything in anger. You never do anything for selfish motive and reason. It's always love. A lot of times, you know, if something really bugs you and really rubs you the wrong way, you just need to smile and say, I'm going to go right now. (laughs) And we'll talk about this later. Right? (laughs) And you can catch yourself in mid-sentence. You can. You can say, I want you to know something. God loves you. And Daddy loves you. And I'm going to go pray now. <laughs> you, you can catch yourself. But then don't just let things slide indefinitely and forget and forget. Deal with it. They may think you've forgotten. But then when something comes up, you go, uh-uh. Oh, what do you mean no? You remember that first part of the week? Yeah, but I thought, no, no thinking, no discussion. That's it. Yeah, but please, please don't quit that. Yeah. Believers are not beggars. That's right. Come on, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's right. Just go to your room, spend some extra time waiting on the Lord. <laughs> Take advantage of this extra time that you have. <laughs> Glory be to God. Uh, go back to Hebrews, if you would. See if we can finish reading our text now. <laughs> Said out loud, ignorance Ignorance needs instruction. instruction. Rebellion Rebellion 
Needs discipline. Two completely different things require completely different responses. Hebrews 12, I'm going to read this again to you out of the living. Hebrews 12, 5. He says, have you quite forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his child? He said, my son, don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has to show you where you are wrong. For when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. When he whips you, it proves you're really his child. Let God train you. For he's doing what any loving father does for his children. Who ever heard of a son who was never corrected? If God doesn't punish you when you need it, as other fathers punish their sons, then it means you aren't really God's son at all, that you don't really belong in his family. Since we respect our fathers here on earth, though they punish us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to God's training so that we can begin really to live? Our earthly fathers trained us for a few brief years, doing the best for us as they knew how. But God's correction is always right and for our best good. How many believe that? God's correction. Always for your benefit. Always right. And for your best good. That we may share in his holiness. Being punished isn't enjoyable. While it's happening, it hurts. I'm reading the living here. But afterwards, we can see the result, a quiet growth in grace and character. Hallelujah. So take a new grip with your tired hands. Stand firm on shaky legs. Mark out a straight, smooth path for your feet so that those who follow you, though weak and lame, will not fall and hurt themselves, but will become strong. You know, your obedience affects other people. Whether you go all the way with God, whether you accept correction, whether you arrive at your full potential, affects many other people in this world. I think sometimes we haven't thought about that, but, but people are watching you. Sometimes the small things affect more than you think. I know when I was teaching, early years of teaching at Rama, I received a letter some years after that, and a fellow from Europe. He said, Brother Keith, he said, I wanted to write you a testimony. He said, I was one of your students. And he said, sometimes you might have seen me standing out by your car. And I did. There were several times I'd come in out of class. He was standing by my car. At that point, I had a new sports car. Bright yellow. I mean, you couldn't miss it. And... uh he said, you might wonder why, why you see me out there sometimes. I said, well, I, no, I, it didn't bother me. He said, well, he said, I was believing for my tuition. And I was believing for my rent. And I had heard you tell how God gave you that car. And he said, I sit out there and look at it. He said, now, God, if you give him that sports car, I know you pay my rent. <laughs> God, if you, if you give him that sports car, you know, I, I know you'll take care of my tuition money. And he did. And he did. And he did. And I got through the first year. And I got through the second year. And we're out here in the ministry. And God just keeps on taking care of me. Right. Right. Sometimes, sometimes people might think, well, what's, what's the big deal about a car? That car encouraged him. Yeah. Every victory you have, God will use. Yeah. 
to encourage, even if you don't even say much about it. He can use it to help somebody else. Every victory you don't have is something that people will not be encouraged through. You make a difference. You may never stand behind a pulpit and bring a message. You may never pastor a church, but that doesn't mean you're not a minister. You are a witness. Amen. Your life is to be a witness. Everybody around you is to see when your children get healed, when you pay something off early, when you get an answer, when you stay up, when other people get down. It's a witness. And the Bible said the goodness of God leads people to repentance. Where are they going to see that goodness? In your life. I said in your life. In your life. Your victories matter. You going all the way with God matters. Even people that talk bad about you and despise you, so many of them are secretly hoping you make it. <laughs> they are. They, you know, they may cuss you and talk bad about you. That's just where they are. That's how sinners act. But something deep down inside them late at night kind of hopes it's something to what you're doing. Because they know they don't have the answer. Right? And other people don't have the answer. And they're hoping to see it. I've had people who talk bad about me. I mean, they made fun of me and, 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 and weren't on my side for 20 years. That have now come full circle. And are in with us. The very people that called me nuts. Now pat me on the back and say, boy, you did the right thing. You sure yeah, you did the right. Well, if I listened to them, I wouldn't have. Best thing you ever did for your family and friends is to follow God all the way. Obey God all the way. Best thing you ever did for your family and friends. No matter what they say about you initially. Later, you'll be in a position to help them. Bless them. He said in uh, verse 10, our earthly fathers trained us for a few brief years doing the best for us they knew how. But God's correction is always right and for our best good that we may share in his holiness. We must be receptive of correction. If you'd receive a natural parent's correction, how much more should you receive your heavenly father's correction? Um, Go with me to John, please, the third chapter of the gospel of John. John 3, we have the famous 16th verse here. Anybody know what that says? Hmm? God, so what? So, so what's, what's this passage talking about? It's talking about love, the love of God. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Gave. The chief expression of love is giving. Did you know that? The greatest expression, the chief expression of love is giving. Not just giving money, it includes that, but giving everything. Giving you time, giving you friendship, giving you loyalty. Love gives. He went on to say, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Now, um, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reprove. Or if you look up other translations, it says 
convict. Convict. That is not the same as condemn. Big, big difference. Condemn. To condemn means to find guilty and pass sentence. You're guilty. You deserve, you know, to fail. You deserve to perish. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn us. Now you hear, hear people say that sometimes. They'll come out of a service and say, boy, boy, the, boy, the Spirit really condemned me about that. No, he didn't. Mm-mm. He convicted you. He showed you what was right. And if you were in the wrong, your own heart will condemn you. That's not the Holy Spirit condemning you. That's you. That's your own heart condemning you. God is not in the condemnation business. Nor should you be. Now this will help you in, in correction. In you correcting somebody else. There's a lot we should talk about on this, and I hope you can be back the next services, because we got a lot further to go on this. But before you correct somebody, first of all, you need to get the two by four out your own eye, right? Before you try to get the sawdust out of theirs. And then not only that, you need to ask yourself, do I have the place? Just because somebody requires correction doesn't mean you're the one. And just because you see it clearly and plainly, you're not supposed to say everything you see. You're not supposed to say everything you know. And there's a lot of people, it would be getting out of your place for you to correct them. Because they have a place over you. And it's just not your place. I don't care how much you think they need it. I don't care how wrong you think they are. It's just not your place to do it or to say it. That's a big deal. Leave with me for us to get more light on that before we get through. But having said that, you must be led by the Spirit in what you say. Because it's not just what you know or not just what you see. What will they receive? And some people are just not ready for you. Do you know what I mean by that? Especially your family. Your, your, your relatives. A lot of times they'd hear it maybe if it was from somebody else. But from you, they'd reject it just because you said it. Before they even try to figure out if it's right or wrong. Just because it was you talking. And so it's good to remember that God has many, 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 many laborers in the body of Christ. And you need to pray sometimes. Sometimes you, you, you know it, you see it clearly, but you also realize I'm not the one. So you say, Lord, send laborers across their path. I mean, I don't think they listen to me, but there's somebody that they will listen to. Might be over the TV, might be through a book or a tape, might be somebody on the job. Say the same thing you've been saying for 20 years, and they act like it's a new thing. That's right. You ever seen that? They come in telling you, oh, glory to God. And you're thinking, I told you that 15 years ago. Just don't say that. Just smile and go, glory to God. Man, that's good. Yeah. Right? (laughs) But keep reading. 
He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. Beware that you do not minister condemnation in your so-called correction or reproof. If you do, you've left the ministry of the Spirit. You don't want to try to communicate so that you make somebody feel bad for what they've done. Ever. I said ever. Never. It is not your job to try to make somebody this way. I've seen people get upset. Well, they just don't know how bad they hurt me. And see, I'm going to make them see how sorry they are. And how what they, they just don't see. I'm going to show them how bad they're supposed to feel. You are in the flesh and being used of the devil. I know that's a strong thing to say, but it's a fact. Because he is the condemner. He is the accuser of the brethren. You do not want to get in that vein. Have you ever had an intense discussion with somebody? Some people call it a fight. Huh? Maybe your spouse. Maybe a sibling. Maybe somebody, a good friend or whatever. But you get to talking and you get intense. And have you ever noticed in a situation like that, things begin to come to you. You you remember stuff from 10 years ago. Details like it was yesterday. And it's like, it's like you're inspired. Because you are. But it ain't the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you sitting there looking so sanctimonious. You know exactly what I'm talking about. There's been times of husbands and wives. You know God. And something came up and you knew. You knew. Don't say that. You knew it. Don't, no, don't say that. Don't bring that up. But no. No, you, you got to say it. And you say it. And I mean, it's World War III and Cold War for two weeks afterwards. Just missed God. And what, what is that thing that you just, you just think, I got to say it. That's flesh. That is your flesh and it is inspired and prompted by the enemy. Grow up. Be strong. Don't yield to it. When you get checked, don't say it. If you have to, bite your lip. Do whatever you have to do. If you say, I, I need to go get quiet before the Lord. Do something, but don't. Yield to the flesh and let the devil use your mouth. Some of the most intense repentance that I've ever done is when I realized I let the devil use my mouth. I let him. He brought feelings to me and he brought thoughts to me and I spoke them out. And people got hurt. Situations got hurt. That's serious.
I said, that's serious. That's what Romans talks about. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do it. Don't let the devil use any part of you. Let God use you. So the Bible said, you know, don't let any corrupt thing come out of your mouth. But just that which is good to the use of edifying and building up that it may minister grace to the hearers. Don't say anything that tears people down. Don't say anything that takes away their confidence. Right? We're investors. We're encouragers. We put something into people. Can you say amen? Now, I've said it two or three different ways, but but hear it clearly now. Don't get into condemnation in so-called correction. It is not your job to make somebody feel bad about what they've done. Do not get into that in any degree. Well, I don't just, I don't think they realize how serious it is. And I don't think, I don't think they see how bad they hurt me. And I just don't think they feel bad enough about it. That's total flesh. Total flesh. Quit it. Stop. No. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn. He convicts. What does that mean? Another word for convict is convince. To convince you. To show you what is right and what is wrong. Now keep reading because this is not the end of this in this passage. He says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him. (laughs) Well, I'm not quite through with that. Story I need to tell you. I was flying some years ago. Commercial, and uh, on this occasion, I happened to be by myself. Phyllis wasn't with me, and uh, I sat down, and there was this guy sitting beside me, and man, he was cutting up. He was drunk, and he was using bad language, and he was saying ugly things to the ladies in front and behind, and the flight attendants, and just you know, just being a pill, and. About, we finally took off and we're flying and finally he looked over. He said, uh, what do you do? <laughs> and I told him. And he kind of got sheepish. <laughs> and I could tell he's waiting on me to condemn him. Did you hear that now? Yeah. That's what. People expect out of us. They expect us to condemn them. And the reason why is because so many people do it. And he finally spoke up. He said, you know, my mama taught me better than this. (laughs) That's what he said. And, And then he just sat there, waited for me to jump on the condemnation wagon and say, yeah, you saw a rascal. What's, you know, try to make him feel bad. Is God in that in any way? No. Making people feel bad. Is he in that? No. Then why do so many people think that's preaching the gospel? People think, well, you saw a rascal. You saw a sinner. You're going to hell. Is that good news? <laughs> You sorry rascal, you poor excuse for a human being, you are busting hell wide open. Is that good news? 
That's bad news. Huh? That's bad. That's not good news. So that's not the gospel. But that's what's been preached as the gospel. What is the gospel? Good news. Like 2 Corinthians 5 talks about God was in Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. Not holding against men their sins and their trespasses. What, is it, what does that mean? God's not holding against people their sins. No, he's already laid it all on Jesus. God's not mad at you. He's not holding your sins and your mistakes against you. Jesus has already taken all of them and bore them and carried them away and paid the price for them. All you got to do is receive him and be cleansed from everything. And be standing in the presence of God innocent like you never made a mistake. That's good news. That's good news. Right? That's what it, it hadn't been preached like it should be. Condemnation's been preached. Sorry, Rascal, you're doing this and you're doing that and you're getting drunk and you're doing drugs and you're sleeping around. You sorry, Rascal, you sinner. Listen, ain't nobody, I know that's not good English, but you understand. <laughs> ain't nobody in hell tonight for drinking. Ain't nobody in hell tonight for smoking dope. Or snorting cocaine or shooting H. Ain't nobody in hell for smoking crack. Ain't nobody in hell for having affairs and sleeping around. Hmm. Because all those sins have already been laid on Jesus. He's already paid the price for them. People are in hell because they refuse Jesus. They wouldn't receive him. They've rejected him and what he did for them. There's too much preaching against sin instead of preaching for salvation. Come on now. Are you with me now? People get upset because they see somebody, you know, drink a beer. They see somebody smoke a cigarette. They see somebody use a cuss word. So many folk hypocrites. Hypocrites. I mean, they talk about, oh, did you hear that bad word? They're sitting there in a the restaurant. Somebody cussed beside them. Used some bad language. Now, I don't like it either, but, but they just pitch a fit in front of their Christian friends. I'm not, I'm not standing for that. And then go home and sit and listen to two hours of cussing on TV and not blink an eye. That's hypocrisy. It's being a hypocrite. And that's why a lot of people don't respect so-called Christians. Because they know they just gag at a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> King James said strain a gnat. Strain at a gnat. So, no, that's not the deal. This guy kept waiting for me to jump on him. I could tell he's waiting. And I was reading my little a little New Testament knowing some things I had a service is coming up when I got to where I was going and eventually he kept asking me questions he said so you a preacher I said yeah <laughs> so you need to understand fishing requires different lures for different fish <laughs> right some people think the only thing you do is you just go out and you slap the water and you go bite 
Bite. Yeah. You, you got to be led as to what the fish is going to bite. Yeah. And then you got to throw it out there and then the fish has got to want it. That's right. right. You move it around a little bit. You let it sit there. Fish has got to want it. You can pressure somebody into praying the sinner's prayer with you and they can say it out loud to get you to leave them alone. That does not mean they got saved. It's about their heart. It's about their relationship with God. And eventually he kept asking me questions. And he, and he wanted to talk about drinking. He wanted to talk about cussing. He wanted to talk about womanizing. And, and finally I looked at him. I said, that's not the deal. He said, what do you mean? And I told him basically what I just told you. I said, there's nobody in hell for those things. He looked shocked. (laughs) I said, here's the thing. I said, I know Jesus like I know my wife, like I know my family. He's a real person to me. I know him. He's real to me. He's my best friend. I talk to him. He talks back to me. He helps me with every detail in life. God is real to me. And that satisfies you. That's what you were made for. That's what you were created for. He began to cry. I said, that's what's important. Because he's wanting to know about what church you go to and what denomination. I said, do you know Jesus personally? Is he real to you? That's the thing. How many understand that's so much better than condemning somebody for drinking and cussing? I mean, that's, where does that get you? What does that do? Many times people feel, they already feel bad. They know they're messed up. That's not a news flash. Right? They don't, you, they'll agree with you. Yeah, I'm a sorry rascal. The problem with condemnation, people, I mean, it's preached in churches. Sometimes you get the whole crowd. They feel so bad about what they heard, but they'll leave and do the same thing tomorrow. There's no power in guilt to change. There's no power in guilt to come out of it. Oh, but in the love of God and in the faith of God, there's life, there's power to change. Now look where this keeps going to, though. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is what? Not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God, uh, which is the best way of saying what I've been trying to say. That's why people are in hell. They've not believed on him. That's why they are condemned and why they wind up judged. Verse 19, keep reading. This is the condemnation. This is why condemnation and the judgment. That light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither comes to the light lest his deeds should be reproved or revealed. But he that does truth comes to the light. That his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Now he used the word reprove here. And it involves correction. And another word for godly correction is light. 
Everybody say light. Light. That's why it's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. Light. God gives you light according to what you can take and according to how much you've walked in the light he's already given you. You know, we, we're all in different degrees of light. How many of you, since being born again, you've grown some and realized some things that you didn't see anything wrong with when you first got saved, but after you grew a while, you thought, man, this is not okay. And instead of condemning people that just got saved or non-Christians, that's what you want to happen. Them get to God and begin to grow up in God, and they'll see it for themselves if they keep growing. It's not what you know. It's not what you see in another person's life. It's what can they receive likewise. As you grow and develop, you'll see a lot of things that you've already grown in your own life and you've put down and you've dealt with. You'll see it in other people. But you've got to realize they're in different places. They may be where you were 20 years ago. And at this point, what they're dealing with, their faith is loaded. They, they're not even where they can talk about that right now. You don't even need to bring it up. But when light comes in your life, you'll do one of two things. You'll either harden your heart and resist it, or you'll humble yourself and you'll repent. All of us in here tonight, growth that we have had in our life came from getting light and receiving it and putting it into practice. How many have made some changes since you got saved? Let me see your hand. Now you've made some changes in your life since you got saved. When did, when did you do it? When light came. You saw something and you thought, I got to change that. And so you changed it. You put it into practice. Well, that caused you to grow and caused you to come up. I was down in Florida some uh, years ago, and I had a day or two off, and I wanted to play some, and I, I wanted to rent a boat and go out on a lake. And I finally found the office where you rented them, and the guy said, well, it's through that building. Well, it was a club, but it was daytime. It was empty. He said, you got to go through there, and in the back's where that office is. I said, okay. So I'm walking through there, and I guess this place is one of the hottest clubs in town. But this place was filthy. I mean, as I walked through there, the tables, the chairs, I mean, I thought, why in the world would people come in here? And then I began to realize the lights, most of them were black lights and strobes and this and that, and they couldn't see it. They didn't know what kind of dirt there is. But when you turn the lights on, oh, yeah. ah, <laughs> it's dirt everywhere. Well, that's the way your life is. You see things depending on how much light is in your life. And you're not to judge somebody else. You don't know how much light they've got. You may think, well, they, they ought to know better than that. Well, they may not see it yet. They may be walking in all the light that they have, and your job is to walk in all the light that you have. 
When light comes, what do you do? God's good. He's merciful. He won't show you the whole thing. How many know if the Lord took you and me and up here on the platform, he held you up and he held you right beside Jesus. Jesus in all his glory and all his perfect obedience and all his perfect submission. And he showed you exactly where you came compared to the standard of Jesus. You'd go, oh God, just put me out of my misery, please. (laughs) He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. You know what he'll do? He'll show you something. And you'll go, hmm, I probably need to change that. And so you change it, and, and, and he shows you something else, and you change it. And he shows you something else, and you change those three things. You think, glory to God, I must be about arrived by now. <laughs> Look at that. He's, you know, I'm, I got all three of them. And the Lord goes, yeah, that's good. That's good. There is something else. There's another. <laughs> And, and, you know, 20 years later, you look back and go, oh, man, I, if he had showed me the whole thing, I'd have just fainted and fallen out. But he shows you light. And when you walk in it, he gives you more. And when you walk in it, he gives you more. But light comes as correction, too. Correction. It's light. It's not to be despised. It's not to be, oh, well, you know, you're correcting me. Well, are you implying you don't need any? So people try to leave the impression, I don't need to be corrected. Oh, you've arrived. You need no more adjustment. You need no more correction. You, you've arrived. You are at perfect Christ-likeness tonight. Well, then if you're not, you require some correction. You require some input, some change. People say, well, this is just the way I am. What does that mean? This is the way I am. This is how I've always been. What does that mean? You are how you've become. Not what you have to be. I'm going to say that out loud again. You are what and how you've become. That does not mean that's what you have to be. You are called... To Christ likeness. You are called to being just like him. That's what you're called to. We live in a society. That lets their desires. Dictate who and what they are. Hmm? We live in a society. That if a man. Married man. He falls in love with somebody else at the office. He has a desire for this person. So he says, I I couldn't help it. It just happened. Well, what is that saying? That's saying, that's my desire. So I'm an adulterer. I can't fight it. That's what I am. People are so confused about sexual orientation. Did you hear me? I'm a man. I desire a man. So that means that's what I am. Well, that's just, I'm a woman. I desire a woman. So that means that's what I am. 
Well, uh, uh, some, a pedophile could say the same thing. I desire a child, so that's what I am. I'm a married man, but I desire another woman, so that's what I am. I can't fight. I'm an adulterer. I'm a fornicator. No, your desires don't tell you what you are. If you're a Christian, you find your identity in Christ. And he tells you what you are. Did you hear me now? He tells you what you are. And then you make your feelings submit to what God has told you you are. Oh, come on now. This, this is important. This covers every realm of life. Yeah, but I want that other woman at, at, at the office. God has told you, you are a, a husband of this wife. You are a man of God. You're a, a father to your family. Then you put your desires under. You ignore them and you starve them uh, until they quit. All these desires are like a stray cat. You feed them. And they keep coming back. Huh? And you feed them and they get stronger. People say, well, Brother Keith, I can't help it. I'm addicted to porn. I can't help it. I'm just tormented and I I, I can't help it. Ah, no, no. You didn't get that way overnight. You fed the cat. Yeah. And the cat came back. It's like this, you know, the, the cat comes to your door, meow, meow, and you say, no, no, kitty, you can't stay. I don't want a cat, and you can't stay, but here, here's two cans of gourmet cat food, but you, you can't stay. You, you got to go. Tomorrow morning, meow, meow, no, kitty, no. No, you can't stay. You, I don't want a cat. I don't want, I don't want you. But here's another can. Uh, take three cans. Here. And, and after, after a year and a half, you laying on the, on the ground and this big cat, this 25 pound cat is sitting on your chest. You're going, I don't want a kitty. I, I don't want a cat. I don't hear, here's another kid. I know that sounds humorous, but that's exactly like any wrong desire. You feed it. You yield to it, it gets stronger and stronger until it can just become tormenting in your life. So let's say you're at the place where you are just tormented night and day with these desires. What do you do? Starve it. Same way it got so strong, reverse it. That's how it gets weak. Starve it. Quit feeding it. Cut it off. Quit feeding it. Quit feeding it. And it may still trouble you for a while. But after days and after weeks, it'll get weaker and it'll get weaker and weaker till you'll go weeks and not even think about it. Then you'll go months and not think about it. You'll be free. Can you say amen? amen. Say it out loud. My desires, my desires don't define me. Don't define me. 
my desires do not tell me who I am and what I am. See, where do you find what you are? I'm in him. In him. Now see, this covers every area. You, you make a mistake and you'll feel condemned. But does your feeling tell you what you are? I messed up. I blew it. But I asked God to forgive me. What does the Bible say? He is faithful. He's, ju- he's faithful to forgive me and just and faithful to cleanse me from all my sins. So I don't care how I feel. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So my feelings have to just submit and get out of the way. Right? Don't care how I feel. By his stripes I'm healed. Don't care how I feel. I've been made rich in him. My God supplies all my needs. No matter how I feel. And when correction comes, same thing. No matter how you feel about it. I was sitting at a, a stoplight one day. Oh, this must have been 20 years ago. Had a revelation. It just came to me. Sitting in the car. This is it. God is smarter than me. (laughs) You might say, you didn't know that before. Well, in a measure. But there's more light. God is smarter than me. What does that mean? He made me. He knows what makes me tick. He he knows what I'm good at, where I'm graced, and where I'm not. He knows the best place for me and the places that's not the best. He knows better than me. Better than me. He knows. So I should acknowledge that every day, no matter what my feelings tell me. And... Jesus said, Lord, Father, I delight to do thy will, O God. That's how he operated. He said, I do always those things that please him. That's how he lived his life every day. And you can do that as an act of your will. I began practicing that when I saw that. And when something had come up and I think, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, this, this, yeah, this is my area. This is my thing. That's what I want to do. And the Lord would say, I don't want you to do that. And I'd go, right. <laughs> yeah, now that I look at it, I, I, you don't like it. I don't like it. And my head is saying, yeah, you do. I said, shut up, shut up. You, you don't know. God's smarter than you. My flesh is going, we want it. We, we really want it. You say, shut up, shut up. God's smarter than you. Right? There's been other times when I thought, no, no, that's not me. Uh-uh. That's not my call. That's not what, that's not for me. And the Lord said, I want you to do that. Right? I mean, now that I look at it, Lord. <laughs> that's it. That's the thing, and, and your head's going, uh-uh, no, 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 that's not us. You say, shut up, shut up. What do you know? God's smarter than you. And you, you subject your feelings, you subject your reasoning to His will. You say, Lord, well, what's, what are you doing? You're receiving correction. You're receiving light. And you're responding to Him. 
You're saying, yeah, you're right. You're right. How many remember the Syrophoenician woman? In Jesus' ministry, Syrophoenician woman? Syrophoenician meant she was worldly, ungodly. And she came and, and followed along behind Jesus' disciples and, and cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, you know, as a Syrophoenician, she wouldn't have known what that meant. Son of David, she probably heard somebody else say that. Anyway, they said, you know, tell her to go away. The disciples said, Lord, tell, tell her to go away. She's bothering us. But she didn't get offended. She took correction. She hung right on in there. And Jesus finally said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What does that mean? Well, she's not a, she's not Jewish. She's Syrophoenician. Well, a lot of people would have got huffy at that point. Wouldn't they? They'd have said, when they'd have heard his staff say, you know, send her away. They'd have thought, send her away? Send her away? I thought this was a ministry. Where somebody could come get help. Send her away. What kind of church is this? <laughs> and, and she could have given them a piece of her mind. Right? Told them just what she thought about them and left without. That's right. What, is the Lord just being mean to her, ignoring her, and saying, no, she requires multiple corrections to get into position to receive. The reason she's in the book is because she took them. She took the corrections. She made the change after change after change till she got to the place where she could receive. You can't come up to God using a borrowed phrase. Don't know God, don't really want God, just want a healing. She wasn't coming to God. She just wanted the healing. I've seen situations like that where people, it's kind of like this. They they don't want to get any closer to God than they have to, to get their blessing. Ah, yeah, and then they're going back to their way of life. Well, that's not okay. She had to make some adjustments. Then when he said, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She could have got huffy on that one. She could have thought, what? You're not, you're not sent to us. We Syrophoenicians just as good as you Jews, bless God. Let me tell you about some Jews I know. We Syrophoenicians, but no, she didn't do that. She didn't do that. She accepted the correction. And just hung right in there. Just kept on. In fact, now she gets real. She falls on her face and she worships God. She worships and says, please. I think if there was anything borrowed or false to begin with, it's out the window now. Help me, Lord. Here's what he says. You know, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs. She's, she's on the floor, on the ground there, worshiping. That would have been the last straw for a lot of people, wouldn't it? What, what would they have said? Dog? 
No, you did. I know you didn't call me a dog. No. No. Did that preacher just call me a dog? She could have stood up. She could have told him just what she thought about him. What kind of preacher he was and minister. What kind of ministry is it? You calling people a dog. And she could have told him all that. Had her say and left. Without, with nothing. What'd she do? Oh, friend, now that, this is such a good example of receiving correction. What'd she say? Anybody remember the story? Truth, Lord. Yet, the dogs, they get crumbs, don't they, Lord? What humility. What's she saying? Well, see, now, you gotta back up a little bit. Her daughter has a devil. Sometimes people don't ever stop to say, how'd she get a devil? You're not just walking down the sidewalk and, oops, I got a devil. <laughs> you got to do goofed up stuff. Come on. Did you hear me? As a way of life to get that way. So here's the question. What's going on at their house? What's going on in their life? I, I did some research on the Syrophoenicians during that time period. I don't recommend you do. They could teach today's sinners some new tricks. Oh, you talk about ungodly. You talk about some perverse stuff. They were into it. So they were living like dogs. Did you hear me? God, God's, the Lord's not just calling her a name. He's, he's not being mean to her. This is where she is. She came up trying to act like a Jewish proselyte, using the right phrases, but the Lord knows where you are. Right? Oh, but she wouldn't quit. When the light came, you're not in God's family. She just stayed right in there. When the light came, you living like a dog. What'd she say? Yeah. Truth. Oh, friend, are you, are you with me tonight? This is how you get the big miracles. God's not withholding from us. He's not keeping blessings from us. But people are not in position to receive. In order to get there, you got to make corrections. you got to receive corrections. And she just kept on and kept on and she kept on changing and kept on humbling herself. And about this, this was the low place here. I said, can't, can't give it to the dogs. She said, truth, truth. If the Lord says you're a dog, what do you say? Bow wow. Bow me. Huh? <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> she said she said you telling the truth Lord we Syrophoenicians we're a bunch of dogs we live like dogs but dogs get crumbs right that's all I need you just give me a couple of crumbs here for my daughter, I believe a big smile came across Jesus' face. She's there. She's at the receiving place. <laughs> Her humility 
qualifies her for the grace. She's received the correction. She's in the receiving place. He looked at her. He said, woman, you got faith. Great is your faith. Be it unto you, just like you've said. Your daughter will be free right now. When she got home, daughter was free, clear, and healed, the Bible said. Delivered and healed. This is a big part of receiving. I know I worked, I had the privilege of working in healing school at Brother Hagin's ministry for a number of years. And again and again, I, you begin to see when people come in, they may know scriptures, they may be able to quote things, but they, their life is not right. They're not in a position to receive. God's not saying no. He's not withholding it. They're just not in position to receive. How do you get there? How do you get there? By changing. By receiving correction. And there's a lot of times, if you'll be honest before the Lord, you'll come and say, God, I got to have this. I need this. And you want to rush in and get it and leave. And he'll say, no, come on. Come on up here closer. Yeah, but God, I'm busy. You know, I got to go. And and uh, if you could just give me a zap and a touch, you know, I, <laughs> I got to hit the road. You know how traffic is. And, and, <laughs> and the Lord will say, all right, all right, come here. Come here. Come on up here. Sit down. Sit, sit right here. Uh, what you going to do about what I talked to you about 25 years ago? Oh my. When, when are you going to do that? When are you going to take care of that? And so many times you just have to, uh, you know, when you come before the Lord, he'll talk to you differently than, than a lot of your buddies will. I mean, you come and crying, God, I need some help, and I don't know what's wrong, and you got to help me. And if you listen, he'll go, would you get up from there? You're just being weak. I've taught you better than this. I've come through for you too many times. And the problem is you're just fleshly. You're just a whiny baby. Get up from there. Be a man of God. Be a woman of God. Speak my word. Do what I tell you to do. Got to be able to say, yes, Lord. Truth, Lord. You're right. Right? Receive it. And sometimes you just need to fall on your face. Put your nose in the carpet. Lay there for an hour or half the night. And say, God, you're right. You're right. When he tells you, you haven't been walking in love. Come on. You've just been selfish and been, hadn't been walking in love. What do you say? Right. Truth, Lord. You're right. You're right. And I told you not to go in debt for all that. But no. You had to have it and you had to do it your own way. And people told them, when the devil's attacking my finances. Are you just laughing while you messed yourself up? So many times you have to fall on your face. You say, I've been a fool. I've been a fool. But have mercy on me, Lord. Have mercy. On oh, and he will. He has mercy. He's plenteous in mercy, the Bible says. Close your eyes. Say it out loud. Father God, show me any changes I need to make. Whatever you say is right. I'll receive it. If I've been wrong, if I've, erred, if I've erred, show me. Show me. I'll, change. I'll change. I'll repent. I'll, repent. I'll, not, rebel. I'll not rebel. I'll not resist. I'll, not resist. I'll, receive. I'll receive 
Get me to the place where I can receive your fullness, the big blessings, where I can operate in the highest place you have for me. Whatever change is necessary, I'm willing. Show me. I'll receive it. I'll change. Give me the light. I'll treasure it. And walk in it it. by your grace. grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.